Namor Tetsa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namor Tetsa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namor Tetsa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara ye Sodavanta Bamunjan to Satan. So this evening, reflecting on this important day, Asala Puja, uh, traditional uh, celebration day in Theravada Buddhist uh, tradition. Of course, this is the First sermon of the Buddha after his enlightenment, he gave this uh, sermon, the Four Noble Truths, uh, in Saranat to his uh, five friends who had deserted him when they thought he was uh, no longer a serious uh, ascetic. <coughs> And so, I mean, what is it that he became a Buddha? Why what called became the Buddha uh, when he attained all these other states, uh, levels of concentration, realms, and psychic powers, and all the rest, and still was not enlightened? So, where we, what do we mean by enlightenment? And of course, when you read scriptures, you tend to think of it as some some kind of special state of earth-shaking, world-trembling significance. Because in, in language, of course, is always a limited uh, condition, and we tend to use the superlative forms of uh, words to describe. Uh, what we think is the best, or even the word best is still a, a thought in the mind, isn't it? A sense of something that's the best and it has its opposite, the worst. So in, in reflecting on enlightenment is, is uh, important to, to begin to see, is it such a and when we think about it, then we, we do find ourselves confused because it does sound like a high attainment. And I've noticed in my travels in the United States this past two months, uh, you know, the level of interest in, in meditation, Buddhist meditation is very significant, uh, and interest in uh, practice and seeing the Dhamma, taking refuge, and all the rest. Various uh, Buddhist traditions. <clears throat> but how, very few people really have contemplated the limitation of language and thought. And because I've been emphasizing this past several years, how, you know, when the more we think about Buddhism and think about Dhamma, and think about ourselves, and think about the world, and then we, we're caught in this 
samsara-vata, or this cycle of birth and death. Now this is for reflection, I'm not, this isn't a dogmatic statement, it's reflecting because <coughs> it's getting outside the thinking process. Being able to reflect on thinking rather than think about thinking or think about not thinking or think about reflecting on thinking. So it's an imminent act of attentive attention. It's very simple, it's not a, uh, a state that is evolved and precious and refined. But it's unseen. So even though uh, in the traditional uh, stories of the ascetic Gotama and all his attainments, different realms and psychic powers and all that, these were conditions still, depending on uh, absorbing and, and sustaining one's concentration on conditioned phenomena, uh, increasingly more refined the conditions become. So there's refinement, and then there's the coarse realm, there's heaven and there's hell, and these are concepts created by human beings. All languages are, you know, they're not ultimately real. They're created. Ways of, of uh, using our mind that can be of great use or it can be a great obstacle to seeing clearly the way it is. Of course, I, over the past years, I've given a lot of uh, encouragement to try to, to not believe anything you think. Because, you know, as all the problems of the world arise when we start attaching to our views and opinions and thoughts about ourselves, about others, about the world. Now that sounds very radical because <clears throat> you know, just there's so much interest now uh, in a society like this one, or in the United States, in trying to understand uh, the function of religion. And uh, of course, it's with the Lambeth Conference taking place now in London, in London and then the, uh, all the radical Islamic movements and fundamentalist Christian and the old sectarian problems and the and the modern modern thoughts and ancient traditions, modern values and ancient values, and on and on like this, we we bind ourselves into time, into concepts, into uh, taking sides, having clinging to views, clinging to opinions. And how do we get out of that? By suppressing thought? By, uh, you know, trying to not think at all? Or by awakening? And so that's the enlightenment, isn't it? The awakened consciousness here and now. And when you try to think about that, you'll get caught in doubt again. 
which is the vichikicca, the third fetter, where you, you can't see the path, you're merely thinking about, conceiving the path, or believing that there might be such, or believing maybe that you're, you haven't seen it, or that you're not capable yet, or advanced enough, or developed enough to, to see the path. Or maybe you're, you're conceited enough to think you do see the path. Because whatever you conceive of, you know, yourself as somebody who's attained or hasn't, as somebody who's enlightened or not enlightened, that is conceptual, isn't it? There's the self-view, the sakaya ditti, and there's the, uh, the ego, the personality, that we really fully committed to. Most, most of you still are very committed to your personal views. <clears throat> you know, yourself as a person is very important to assert oneself as a person and be a, be a person because that we, you know, that we can cope with. That's the world for us. That's reality for us. But a non-person Try to conceive anatta or a non-person. What do you come up with is usually nothing. If I don't have a personality or I'm not anybody, then I'm nothing. And so that's the conclusion that one easily comes to. In, in the States, getting people to see how much, you know, their efforts trying to attain and achieve uh, how, how much of your meditation has been successful because you've attained and achieved higher states of consciousness or concentration? Or how many of you feel you haven't been able to attain or achieve what you should have or what you were expecting? So this, this whole sense of attainment or achievement is, for, for the Western mind, this is very much... Uh, how we develop our sen the sense of our self-worth about whether we, if we're attained or not, if we've achieved or, you know, become something. Uh, Self-improvement is, is a big industry now. There's a plethora of books on how to improve your personality, improve, your, improve yourself, to have a positive sense of your self-worth. And these are modern psychobabble terms that you hear everywhere trying to develop positive values about and self-respect and assert yourself as a in a positive way in the world. Now not that this is anything wrong with this but this is still the world. This is still conditioned phenomena. But then if you go to the other extreme, like you don't have to meditate or you don't have to do anything, I don't have to practice meditation, uh, I don't have, I'm not going to try to attain. Uh, Ajahn Tomato says uh, you shouldn't achieve or attain anything, so I'm not going to do that and, and uh, take the other, what happens? It's still Sakya Diti, isn't it? Grasping the idea, the, the concept of non-attainment or attainment. Now how do you get out of that dilemma? Because it is a dilemma, isn't it? Where you, you know, 
which choice, the positive to, to improve yourself and create yourself into a very good, uh, moral, admirable, uh, intelligent and wise person, or to feel that you shouldn't do anything. Or that maybe you believe that you're, you know, no matter how uh, much, how many self-improvement courses you might take, you still, still, you know, you can still see all kinds of faults or flaws in yourself as a person. So then the enlightenment is switching on this light, the floodlight of awareness, where you you observe, being the observer, the listener. So it's, it's not becoming a listener, but it's listening. It's not trying to become someone who understands Dhamma and knows Dhamma, but being the knowing, being this. And so this is conscious, consciousness with awareness, attention, and then the self, uh, the sense that your emotional uh, habits arise and cease, the the memories uh, that you have that create this sense of being a, a personality come and go and change. It was very interesting spending the last week in Seattle where I was my birthplace where I lived, uh, I grew up and went to school, was in the Seattle. And we happened to be staying at Janet Clark's house, which is in the very area that I first lived when I, first six years of my life. Just observing how, just physically spending a week in that, that part of Seattle, you know, so many memories would come back because the you know, first six years of your life are quite significant. You start, you know, discovering yourself in the world and you're being, you know, you're, you're exploring life. Everything is new. You aren't coming from a lot of memory or strong views. You're learning, you're experiencing life firsthand as a, say, within those first six years. So, of course, this, uh, this area of Seattle is now, and when, when I was a child back in the 30s, 1930s, this was on the outskirts, this was a suburb outside, uh, you know, it was in Seattle, but it was the southern part of Seattle. Now it's almost the center. Seattle is, is kind of spread out like other cities in, to where the suburbs kind of expand continuously in what was once uh, a rather undeveloped part of Seattle now is a very urban kind of area. But still, I could remember all kinds of things, uh, certain configurations, the buildings, the, the architecture of the houses and uh, the streets and even certain shops, uh, I could still, would bring back memories. Now that's how memory works, isn't it? Something triggers off something and we remember. So this ability to remember, 
is, uh, you know, it's a skill, it's, it makes us into a human being. But attachment to memory, binding ourselves to memories, is the cause of suffering. So memory, we have a retentive memory, which means that I could remember, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to have a birthday in a few days. So say 70 years ago, most of you weren't even born yet, but I can remember things in that, just living in the Janice Clark's place Seward Park, Lake Washington, and all that area around there. Remember what it was like when I was a little child. So that, that means like if, if I were a, a sheep or a, something like that, I probably, you know, wouldn't remember that far back. I wouldn't live to that ripe age, this, this ripe age. But, um, Human beings, we, we have this retentive memory. Now how to use memory, how to not be bound into memory. You know, it's not, I'm not anti-memory or seeing that memory is an obstruction. It's not an obstruction anything, but attachment to memory out of ignorance is the cause of dukkha or suffering, of birth and death, of grief, sorrow, despair and anguish. So this is in the Four Noble Truths, this uh, particular teaching that we're celebrating this evening, Asala Puja, I found this, uh, uh, you know, I consider it a rather brilliant and perfect teaching with all the great creations of human, of human beings over the centuries. I probably rate this as number one on the list the Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta. <laughs> now this, of course, is an opinion that I'm having. I don't expect you to, to, to believe it. <clears throat> but of course, it's been for the past 40, over 40 years, I've used this particular uh, teaching, the first sermon of the Buddha, for investigating experience. And so the, when we chant, you know, it's quite spelled out quite clearly in that recitation that we, the chanting that we did previously in the, naming the truths, the Four Noble Truths, and the three aspects of the truth, the insight that arises through, um, through, the, uh, through these truths, the Eightfold Path, Seeing clearly, getting outside, being able to to transcend. But transcend doesn't mean kind of reject the world. But the world is no longer our identity. Now, reality, in other words, is Dhamma. And this is another word, but it's, it's, this is for reflection, for pointing, not for definition. So when, when we use this word dhamma or dharma, it's, uh, 
it's a word, and but it's pointing to the here and now. This is Dhamma right now. We're all sitting here. This is it. This is the truth of the way it is. Dhamma is like this. And when I'm reflecting in this way, I'm not reflecting on that I am this body and <coughs> I'm giving a Dhamma talk now and I'm going to have, my, have a birthday soon as some kind of my reality, my take on Buddhism or my development as a Buddhist monk or how I prospered or developed or uh, you know gained wisdom or achieved any state whatsoever after 40, this will be my 42nd Vasa this, this, uh, starting tomorrow evening but here and now, this is Dhamma is now, it's not about practicing now in order to realize the Dhamma. That's a thought process, isn't it? When you think, oh, I have to practice now, you, you tend to think, maybe most of you or some of you, I don't know how many enlightened beings there are in this sala, in this uh, temple right now, but um, I'm sure a good percentage of you are fully convinced that you are somebody who has to do something in order to become something. And so this is, this is to be, and of course this is, this is the fetter that blocks us off from Dhamma. Personality view, Sakaya Ditti. And this is the very first fetter. A fetter is something that's an obstruction, isn't it? It binds us to something. Not to enlightenment, it binds us to the world, to illusion, to our delusions, to our memories, to the sense of ourself as a person, a physical being. That's called a fetter in English. So the first fetter is not to be just dismissed, but why not uh, people have, you know, people challenge me about these kind of, this kind of teaching because <clears throat> people, you know, experts on Buddhism and teachers of meditation have developed various styles and techniques of teaching. And of course, there's, they have different ways of you know, they quote the scriptures or develop uh, certain uh, methods of meditation or attitudes about it. And, but what I'm pointing out right now is that why not start from here and now rather than starting from ignorance and delusion and trying to become enlightened through through uh, operating from a basically deluded attitude. So this is the kind of brilliance of the Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta, is that it, it's about wake up, it's about taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, not as some kind of personal refuge. What does that really mean in the here and now? What is Buddha Dhamma Sangha right now at this very moment? And then you, you might give the traditional views of what Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha are 
defined, nicely explained uh, according to scriptural teachings or your own uh, personal interpretations or whatever. But when you took the uh, refuges just a few minutes ago, that Bhutang Sarnangachami, I always ask myself, what is Bhutang Sarnangachami right now, rather than I'm taking refuge in the Buddha as uh, me, as this person. This person, this personality is taking refuge in something called the Buddha because this is this is a tradition, this is Theravada Buddhism, this is Pali. It's part of our tradition, we take refuge in the Buddha. And of course this is, this is true. This is a tradition. This is the Pali tradition. But also, what is the tradition for? Is it for creating more Sakyaditi? Or is it for awakening. So the, the message is always the Santiti ko akali ko ehi pasmo banaiko bhajitang veti dapo vinui. These chant the Dhamma apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be experienced individually by the wise. Now we can say that, most of you have memorized that well enough, but now apply that. This is, in, in the here and now, this present, if Dhamma is now, Buddha, Bhutang Sarnangachami, what is that pointing to? Is attention, isn't it? Awakened consciousness. So it's not about me becoming awake, but it's about being awake. And this awakening, like consciousness, you don't create out of ignorance. Consciousness is natural. It's not about thought either. Thought arises and ceases. But consciousness is, is like a continuum. We, we've been conscious from the day we're born, and when the body dies, then the consciousness doesn't die, but the vehicle for consciousness dies. So just see that, that this human body is a vehicle, is a convention, where consciousness operates. And so the enlightened consciousness is seeing Dhamma, and the ignorant ignorance is the Sakyaditi Pilabhatra Bharamasa Vichikita, the world, Sangsara. It's about me as a person, my birthplace, Seattle, Washington, my memories from those uh, first six years in growing up in the uh, sort of park area in Seattle. And then the, <clears throat> and then I can, somebody's writing my biography. You know, the biography of Ajahn Sumato. To me, that doesn't make sense. There's no, you know, I can, I can, I know what they want, and the, you know, the kind of a collection of memories that I, or what other people remember about me. <laughs> but pointing to it is Dhamma. It's not Dhamma, is it? 
So when we take refuge in the Dhamma, Tamangtanangatami, this is from this awakened point, because each one of us experiencing consciousness within a form, within the form of our bodies. Now, how, now, so the enlightened or the awakened consciousness, or the the way we create ourselves in consciousness. So when I become Ajahn Sumato and become a person and and uh, you know write my biography and autobiography and and um, all this kind of the usual sense of you know I've been a monk for so many years and my birthday 74th birthday will be on the 27th of July and this is what we call conventional reality this is nothing wrong or bad about it but if one operates from that from those memories from those conventions that's still there's still the 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 sense of there's still ignorance operating avicca attachment and the suffering that comes from that so the immediacy the the here and now santitiko akaliko timeless now the body is a time condition isn't it 74 years complete I can still say I'm 73 right now. You know, vanity and all that. I'm only 73 years old, but in just a week's time. <laughs> so, you know, or once the 27th of July happens, then I can't even honestly say I'm 73. Now I can honestly say I'm, according to Western ways of calculating age, uh, it's an honest... Uh, you know, number for the age of this body. So that's conventional, seen it as samotsatya, or conventional reality. It works as a convention, language as a convention, tradition as a convention. A convention then, or a condition, these are, these are phenomena they arise and cease. They have a beginning and end, just like the body. I was with my sister, who's two years older than I, and she can remember when I first arrived at home. She said she could remember. The, uh, she can remember things about me that I have no memory of. So she knew me before I did. My sister knew me years before I knew who I was or I had any identity at all. <clears throat> but I, I assume I was born, I have a birth certificate and so forth and my sister confirmed that. And so, I mean, I can take for granted that this is the result of birth, this, this 70, nearly 74-year-old body sitting here is the result of birth 74 years ago. 
And so this body is, in the conventional terms, 74 years old, 74 year old body. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's true. But if I attach to, I am 74 year old body, this body is me and it's 74 years old. And I'm still operating from the Sakyaditi level, from the personality. I haven't, I haven't seen through that yet. Say, for example, if I haven't seen through Sakyaditi, I, my whole sense of my self-worth is based on the Sakyaditi, and now I'm a 74-year-old old man. Old codger. Of all kinds of unpleasant terms to refer to old people. Because old people aren't, you know, we're no longer good looking or anything. We're no longer sexy. We're no, <laughs> oftentimes we lose our memories. We're no, <laughs> oftentimes we're just, you know, we're retired. We don't have any great function left. You see a lot of old people just waiting to die, sitting in old people's nursing homes. Incontinent, all these embarrassing things that happen through the aging process. And then the sense of oneself, you know, it's humiliating, isn't it? When you've seen yourself as someone who, who doesn't wet the bed, and then you start wetting the bed. That's uh, embarrassing on the Sakyaditi level. Now this is a reflection, just uh, the, the sense of myself as a body. Or, not operating from Sakayaditi or personality view, but beginning to, to trust in this awareness of the personality. It's the, just the thought, I'm a 70-year-old man, is, is a convention, isn't it? That which is aware of me thinking this thought is consciousness, isn't it? It's there's consciousness, but there's awareness with consciousness. And the thought, the conventional thought, I'm 74 years old, is what it is. It arises and ceases. But it no longer am I believing it or grasping it or operating from that convention anymore. I can use the convention, but no longer bound and limited to that convention. Because of seeing the suffering, the dukkha, of attachment to these conventions and the desire that arises from that attachment and the attachment, uh, and that, and that, then the desire, the attaching to the desire, and then the suffering that inevitably is a result of attachment to desire. So this is investigating the Four Noble Truths. Now, when there isn't any person, you know, there, there can, the personality can still operate. I, you know, there's still 
personality operating, but it's no longer a fetter. It's merely a convention. So the condition, the tradition, the, the uh, personality, the thinking process, these are not fetters in themselves, but the fetters are, it's when we attach to them out of ignorance, when we operate from the personality, from memory, from the sense of ourself as a physical body, as a young person or old person, male or female, as we attach to, to these, then we create, then the, the result of that is dukkha. But when there's non-attachment to it, then it's merely what it is. Conditions arising, ceasing. Now this you cannot imagine. Uh, you know, when you try to think about this, you can't think about it. In reading various articles in magazines and so forth, there's a lot of interest now. A lot of books are being written about faith and belief and how what, the function of religion in the world and consciousness. Now, people generally don't know, you know, they, they think about consciousness. They want to define it, experiment with it, uh, you know, do various tests and scientifically want to to make something out of it rather than recognizing realize, reality is now, Dhamma is here and now. It's not about making it into something, it's about recognition of it. This is the third noble truth, recognizing non-self, non-attachment. where the, the attachments that we had to the fetters, we've seen through that, so we've let go of the fetters, and then, the, that's the, then we're aware of the personality, uh, the, the conventional realities, and the um, thinking process arises and ceases according to conditions. Now the conditions for remembering uh, things of my early childhood, I can still remember what, you know, I have memories of being in Seattle now and uh, having and remembering, re-remembering old memories from childhood. But this is all, this is, this is just the sanyakanda uh, or the ability to remember memory. Now, if you investigate this in this way, then the Third Noble Truth take, allows you to let go. You let, the Second Noble Truth is letting go, and third is realizing Dhamma, or the cessation of phenomena. Cessation of phenomena. There's still consciousness. You don't kind of go unconscious when you let everything cease. When there's no personality, there's no attachment to a self, or conventions or thoughts. 
There's awareness, consciousness, and wisdom. So this is informing. Hey, this is it. This is this is the this is real. This is Dhamma here and now. And then through that insight, we cultivate or bhavana or meditate or develop mindfulness. So then this is then this is then that this is the real the reality is we we recognize this is it this is dhamma this is the way this is the path this is it So in this way the, the four noble truths the three aspects of each truth And what I'm pointing to is the word bhavana, which is, you know, is, is, is like in Thailand they use the word for meditation. But bhavana actually is developing the path, what we call in conventional terms the eightfold path, or samaditi, samasangapo, and onward. Up until then, it's not the path. You know, you're, you're still struggling with trying to develop this, achieve that, uh, get rid of your defilements, uh, and it's still creating the self as, a, as a, a meditator of some sort, or a Buddhist, or maybe you don't want to be a Buddhist, you want to be just a vipassana practitioner, or or just want to be a mindful human being in the world, or whatever take you, whatever way you think or prefer how to use words and thoughts and concepts. It's all can be seen as sakya ditti. Until we we really challenge that this, not challenge it by thinking or analyzing. Because that's that's more sakyaditi, but by awakening. And awakening then is not to to suppress self, but to recognize self is this. I can see the sense of myself as a person, as a seventy-four-year-old man, as a Buddhist monk, as a uh, upacharya, as a senior, as uh, on and on like this, as uh, someone born in Seattle. 74 years ago. But the difference lies in that, that that's no longer my reality. Uh, that's not, I, can, I see that as a convention. Fair enough. It's all right. I'm not, I think, I'm not trying to suppress it or deny it, but see it. Know it. This knowing then is the discerning panya faculty that operates once we've let go of the fetters. Discerning. So when, say, the path to the deathless, mindfulness, the path to the deathless, heedfulness, apamado amatapadang, 
mindfulness or heedfulness, being atten- paying attention in this very moment. Amatabhadang, the deathless reality, too real. And but when we're heedless, pamado machanopadang, then that is heedlessness is the way to death. So you see that as long as those fetters are your modus operandi, they're fetters that you you're bound to and operate from, then then you're you're bound to death. And you, you, of course, that triggers off fear and uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, the sense of yourself, self-consciousness. All the problems of the world arise from that. Sakya Ditti, Silabhattabharamasa Vichikicca. Now, Vichikicca then is, is translated as doubt, but doubt is the result of thinking, attachment to thinking. And that's why nobody really knows. When they, when, uh, with modern science or analysis or any religion, uh, just operating from those conventions, you know, there's always not quite sure skepticism. What, what is your modus operandi? What are you operating from? from views about Western science, about reason and logic, or from creationist theory of Christianity, or from views that you've acquired through culture or ethnic identities or through education or lack of it, or whatever. So you're, you're, uh, you know, this is the 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 self, the the thinking process that has never been looked at. Merely, we're bound to it, bound to thinking, slaves of our thoughts, fetters to, to our thinking, which always leads us to uncertainty and insecurity. Now, the, you know, reading articles about the religious situation in the world, the arising uh, obsessions around fundamentalist approaches to religion. You know, like the uh, Islamic fundamentalists or Christian ones. Mormonism is one of the fastest growing religions now, they say, according to this article. Mormonism. <clears throat> and what, what, why would, why do Educated people in the present day, what did they, why did, would they attach to Mormonism or to uh, fundamentalist Christianity? Because it, it, you're told exactly, you're, you're conditioned, you're told what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false, the, uh, what you should believe, what you should not believe. And this, on the Sakyaditi level, gives a certain, because we don't know, and that insecurity is very uncomfortable for most people, so we're willing to operate from what somebody tells us. Tell me what to do, how I should live my life. Tell me what's right. Tell me uh, about God, 
or no God. But I want to know, you know, I want authority, whether I'm a, a rationalist, a humanist, a rationalist, a scientist, then of course, uh, you know, I, I'm too skeptical to believe in anything, the, you know, the usual definitions of God. Or maybe this skepticism isn't a problem I have, that my, you know, I just want to be told by somebody I, I can maybe trust, that seems to know, and what I should believe in, and then I'll believe that. Now that is Silsakya Ditti, isn't it? Whether it's reasonable, rational, modern scientific theory, or it's uh, fundamentalist Christianity or Mormonism or whatever, it's still conditioned phenomena. It's not, I'm not condemning it, but pointing to what conditioned phenomena is. So even intelligent rationalists and humanists, you know, they, they can, they appeal to the educator, the skeptical uh, personality. But also, it's still conditioned phenomena. It's still operating from maybe modern scientific theories and reason and logic rather than belief in, in uh, theistic religious concepts. So belief and disbelief, is there really different? Because it amounts to thinking. It's, it's trying to define and describe ultimate reality. Just like the attempts to define God, to to have to prove, is there God or is there not? Is there any or is it just made up by ignorant people who, who need security and so they'll believe in these concepts about God and uh, then we think, I'm an intelligent, rational person, I'm not going to just accept anything on your say. Uh, but we still, we still are thinking, whether it's based on belief or disbelief. Now, to get outside of the thinking process doesn't mean we don't think, but it means we begin to recognize consciousness is this, and the thoughts come and go. The sense of I am uh, this person, I am Arjun Sumato, for example, is the concept that arises and ceases. When that concept is ceased, there's a recognition. I am Ajahn Sumato is ceased. And that, in that cessation of that concept, it's like this. This is, this is empty, it's conscious, empty, aware. And then emotionally, I might panic because Maybe my whole emotional life is built around the need to be somebody. I mean, in modern society, my cultural background was, was very much uh, a culture, American culture of my generation was to be somebody, to prove yourself, a winner, to be, to, you know, to get somewhere in life, to be independent and and uh, assert yourself and be strong and brave and all the rest. So this is a sense of myself 
is culturally conditioned. I wasn't born with that. When I was born, there's consciousness, but the, the conditioning process has not taken hold yet. But now, at 74, the conditioning of inconsciousness is seen and recognized for what it is. It's not, some of it's good stuff, some of it isn't. It's not like it's all wrong or one shouldn't think or one should, shouldn't remember anything. Because that's still sakyaditi. It's not about believing or disbelieving, creating or destroying anything. It's recognizing, realizing. Reality is now. The deathless is now. Dhamma is now. And this isn't, you know, this is, this is a pointing at the present where you can begin to observe, or you know, maybe encourage you to observe your own questioning mind. What is, what is that old monk talking about? Or, you know, whether you believe or disbelieve, or whether you agree or disagree, you can observe that, can't you? You can observe whether you agree with me or disagree, or you're not quite sure. It's like this. Whatever your reaction to what you're listening to at this moment, it's like this. That which is aware of your emotional reaction is not an emotion, but it is conscious and there's wisdom if you begin to trust it, awareness, sati and panya, mindfulness, wisdom. Now the Vasa begins tomorrow evening when we enter the traditional entering of Vasa for the three months. This is the full moon of July, the Asala Puja. These are conventions? Fair enough. But, you know, as uh, they, oh, this is my 42nd Vasa, uh, you know, I could really make something out of that. You know, it's quite impresses me that I've been a monk 42 years, actually. <laughs> but it does, in terms of emotions, it doesn't mean much. Because consciousness is not about age or awareness. Satipanya is not about age of the body or being a monk or anything like that. It's it's this, it's real. This is the refuge. And so the other is conventional reality. And then tomorrow the, the entering of the Vasa, uh, uh, the determination, Aditana of the Vasa, three months through the full moon of October. This is a tradition. And we can say, well, you know, this is the best, best weather of the years and during those three months. And the, but in the Thailand, it's the rainy season. So it's pouring rain in Thailand. <laughs> and here it's nice and sunny and so forth, at least sometimes. 
<laughs> so, but anyway, this is, this, is the, this is the tradition that we're using. And so it's, it's not to try to rationalize it and then try to uh, change it, but to use it for awareness. So this three months vasa, pantha, is opportunity to, you know, see it as, as in, in aditano, determination, to really investigate these noble truths in your daily life here. Whether you're on retreat, alone, or in a group, or in the sala, or in the forest, in a kuti, or wherever you are. It's the integrating this into daily life. Otherwise, we, you know, the, what tends to pass for meditation is leave me alone, I'm meditating type of practice. I don't want to be bothered with any duties or obligations because I'm busy developing my meditation. This is sakyaditi, isn't it? This is as if I need to be alone in practice to get my jhanas and, and get my samadhi or get my insight. This is, this is, uh, this is, is Sakyaditi. Which is, not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't practice alone in Kutis, but when we attach to that convention, then it becomes a fetter. So, seeing that this, this, um, this, this Vasa, is opportunity to investigate this yoni so manasikara, these words in Pali, getting to the very root. So it's always here and now, and I'm upset or ill at ease or insecure or unhappy or uh, obsessed with something, is like this. Then it's like switching on the light, isn't it? It's enlightening. Being aware of the condition, as a condition. It is what it is. It's not trying to dismiss it or diminish it, but to recognize all conditions are impermanent. Sape Sankarani Cha. Which is not a dismissal of them, whether they're trivial or important, urgent, or stupid, silly, whatever the condition, whatever you might define or describe the condition you're experiencing now, is not, don't define it, it is what it is. A feeling of insecurity, uncertainty is like this. You know, for confusion, or so many of our, you know, in monastic life, confusion or what to believe, or how, how should I practice, or doubts, or vichikicca, or uh, doubts about the convention, or whether one should or shouldn't, or ought to or ought not to, or whatever, then th these are still based on attachment to the first three fetters. So, say this, this determination, aditana for the vata, they really apply these, this Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta to whatever is happening to you. 
You know, so it's, it's a time, the Vasa is, is a time where we can emphasize this. We just chanted the, the, the Dhammajaka Sutta, reflecting on it and then applying it in the daily life experiences that we have during the next three months. We shouldn't be just dismissed after the Vasa. But seeing that this, this sense of determining the Vasa uh, gives us, a, a, you know, using it mindfully so that it, this determination isn't that I'm going to get it, uh, but it, if I feel I'm going to get it, I have to get it and really work hard, this Vasa, that's Sakyadithi. So trust yourself to be aware of even, you know, good intentions or, or whatever you, you know, however you relate to or think or react. It's like this. A condition is a condition. And this is the brilliance of Buddha Dhamma is that it's the discerning. This is what la is lacking in, 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 in civilization. It doesn't discern anything. It criticizes, it creates, it, it, it compares things. It's always, it's criticizing things. So this is better and that's worse. This is right, this is wrong. We have a whole, you know, value system that we've com committed to and believe in without discerning it, the values that we're attached to. We don't discern that attachment unless we awaken to that. So see that this, this, uh, this attachment to even high standards and values and morals, which is good, and should be, as monks, nuns, we should be, and all that, that makes sense on the level of Sakyaditi, Silabhata Bharamasa, Vichikita. But the point of it, being mindful, is awakening to that. So that, you know, then the convention is a, a tool, is a help, is something for cultivating mindfulness. It's a helpful tool for mindfulness rather than just programming ourselves, institutionalizing ourselves, or rebelling against the tradition. Having views for it or against it is like this. Whether you agree or disagree with it, it's like this. So this awareness then is the path itself. So I offer this for your reflection.